question for today's message, we shall be reading from the book of Galatians, chapter 4, verses 21 to 31. Again, Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 to 31. Please open your Bible to that portion of Scripture and join me in reading God's Word. Let us all rise in reverence to the Word of God. Verse 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one, who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud. You who are not in labor for the children of desolation, one, will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers like Isaac, are children of promise, but just as that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave but of the free woman. Praise God for the reading of his word. You may now be seated and may I call brother for the message. The title for today's sermon is Tale of Two Sons, although we could also use the title The Tale of Two Mothers based on Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 to 31. Prior to this, as I have shared, Paul began using his personal relationship with the Galatians. Didn't you help me? Didn't we have a, a wonderful friendship, a good history together? Now you're listening to these people and you are making me your enemy. So have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? So he was using, trying to appeal to their relationship. However, I did mention to you that before he appealed on the relationship level, on the friendship level, he first talked about things according to the gospel. It was first on the doctrinal level 
This is the gospel. Nobody should distort it. Anybody who puts a change to it, let that person be cursed who teach a distorted gospel. And he called those who believe that it is the salvation is faith in Christ or justification is faith in Christ plus, plus keeping the law, the law of Moses. And for Paul, there should be no addition. Justification or righteousness is through faith. Now, some people can't preach that because they believe that they have to call people to obey. And we have clarified that, that the gospel is believing in the person of Christ and the work of Christ. And one must understand the work of Christ and its meaning and its significance. It is about faith in Him. What does that mean? It means if you have faith in Him, you believe Him and not yourself. You believe Him and no other. It means you entrust your life and your soul to Him not to the philosophies of the world. And he mentioned about, and you who were enslaved by other gods before, meaning the way that the world explained things. And during that time, it was about mythology. Everything was explained by a certain god or goddess. And that was the world order then, the belief that they had. He was saying, we believe in Christ. We are not enslaved both by the Jewish tradition our faith is not in the old covenant. Our faith is in Christ who fulfilled the old covenant. We relied on his works. Now, we are also not relying on the world system. We are not conformed to how the world thinks. So he's saying we are not enslaved to these things, but we are free in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we don't obey. But what we are saying, it is not obedience alone that saves. What we are saying is obedience is a product. Obedience does not save. Let me clarify that. Rather, obedience does not save. It is faith in Him. And obedience to the Word is a fruit, is a result, because we believe. Again, no, it cannot be put on equal plane that it is faith and works that save. It is only faith and what the obedience to God's command follow or is the obvious thing that happens. And we know that, that even in, in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, with two different versions, they were saying that I, God will give you a new heart. God saying, I will give you a new heart. And it was a heart to obey. And even Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews quoted that, that I will write my laws in your heart. It is God saving and writing in our hearts that therefore we want to be obe to obey but we cannot preach obedience saves no what we preach we have to obey but because we have failed so many times we are all wretched sinners not one of us passed the test therefore we need the savior 
We need the one who passed the test. We need the one who is sinless. The one who could sacrifice himself. Like in the Old Testament type of ceremony. That was a foreshadowing of what Christ would do. Where an innocent animal would die for the sinner. That's why the people of Israel would bring an animal to sacrifice. An animal who has nothing to do with their sin. Somebody innocent. And that animal would die. That was a, a shadow of things to come. That Christ, who was called the Lamb of God, would sacrifice himself. And he is the only one worthy to take our place. So Paul first established what they believed. What is the gospel? And even me, he said, if I preach a different gospel, let me be cursed. Or even if an angel comes, let that angel be cursed. Thus, giving us the weight, the importance of being accurate with the gospel. It is very important that we are accurate. It is these additions. And may I suggest that today also subtractions. In the book of Romans, we know that Paul addressed uh, some issues in in passing because in the New Testament church they had to address two kinds of issues those who say that it is about the law it's about being legalistic that somebody gets saved but there's an opposite view and uh, they're popularly known as the antinomians those who believe that uh, and uh, a branch of Gnosticism and they believe that hey uh, since it's we are saved by faith, therefore we can sin. So there's this two opposing poles. But where is the gospel? The gospel, it is faith alone. But the faith that we are saved is never alone, which means it results into the fruit of the Spirit, into the work of the Spirit in our lives. That is the fruit. That's why a person who is saved knows it. Knows that he knows that he knows because there's a change in the heart. That this person does not no longer just want to live for the self, but he wants to live for Christ. Now there's a desire for the word. Something changed. It's not just disciplining yourself just to study, although that is so important. But a heart change has happened. Now we go to chapter 4 after Paul talked about a lot about the gospel and its, its teaching. When I say doctrine, it's teaching to be very accurate. Then he tried to appeal on a personal level. Thus, I'd like to reiterate, even among us, we are bound together because of the gospel we believe as a church community. Without that, there is no church community here. Our primary bond is Christ. It is the gospel. It is not just because I hang out with you, therefore we are connected in a church community. No, that's not the primary. It could be a secondary benefit, a tertiary benefit, and he wants us to love one another, but not without knowing that we believe in the same gospel. And it is the gospel that is revealed in Scripture. Now, Paul continues his argument by just making a an allegory or an illustration. It's just to make my point clear to you, allow me to give you a story. 
And it's not really a story, but let me give you an example. So Paul used an allegory to explain his point. He took a swipe at those who wanted to be under the law. The allegory was about Abraham's two sons of two separate mothers. One mother lived free, but the other mother lived otherwise. Paul explained that those who pursue the law are the enslaved. And those who believe in the gospel, of course, without distortions, are the ones who are free. Let's look at the two sons. Paul referenced, obviously, Ishmael and Isaac, the two notable sons of Abraham. Notable sons? Are there other sons? Yes, yes. After Sarah died, he married Keturah. And we know that Keturah had several sons given to Abraham. In fact, one of them was Midian. If you remember, Midian is the ancestor of Jethro, still finding its roots to Abraham. But what Paul was referencing was Ishmael and Isaac, the two sons. One was born according to human effort. If you remember the story in Genesis, it's good to read Genesis. It makes the New Testament more exciting if you know these people. While the other was born through promise. Remember that Sarah was not bearing a child until the appointed time of the Lord. It was not made through human effort because Abraham could no longer produce. His body was physically incapable and Sarah's body was incapable. So that was given through promise, the impossibility of it. Yet the other was made through human effort because perhaps they got impatient, Sarah got impatient, and Abraham agreed to it. Therefore, there was Ishmael. Now, if you remember that one was free and the other was a slave. Let's read verses 21 and up to 23. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, meaning human effort, while the son of the free was born through promise. The two mothers were Hagar, or Hagar, and Sarah. Hagar gave birth to Ishmael, while Sarah gave birth to Isaac. Now, Scripture shows that Hagar was enslaved and that Sarah was the free woman. Now, he was laying the foundation of his point. His point simply being, there is a slave mother and a slave son, and there is a free mother and a free son. Which do you want to be? Actually, that's simply his point. Okay, and he's saying that, that if, if you want to be enslaved, that represents the law. And if you are free, that represents uh, what we have been preaching, which is the gospel of Christ and justification by faith alone. That was simply his point. Please do not overextend the allegory saying, well, uh, isn't Isaac the father of Jacob that became? renamed to Israel, and that became a nation. Oh, why was he doing this? He's just using it to make a point, slave or free. That's it, okay? 
that's something what that you are taught when you study literature and 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 uh, other parts it's there are limits to the allegory for when i say for example or when jesus used a parable for example there was this cruel boss and he told his servants to invest his money and when he came back one servant doubled it another doubled it too and the other one did nothing but hid it under the ground and that boss threw him out now it's just a story making a point that what uh, a parable of the talents about growing in the kingdom the point isn't that god is cruel no that's not the point it has limits when you use a story it has limits you do not overextend a story to put all meanings there paul was just saying either you want to be free or to be a slave because if you were saying that you believe these judaizers who's trying to convince you otherwise trying to add something to the gospel then you're like a slave now let's look at the two women Paul explained allegorically that the mothers of the two sons were the two covenants. Now he's just saying it's just like this. Okay, let's just say that Hagar represents Mount Sinai, okay, where the law was revealed. That's in Arabia. And the other, uh, it's Jerusalem. And then there was a, a mention, the Jerusalem above, which some scholars believe he's talking about a heavenly Jerusalem. But again, that is debatable. But it may represent just Jerusalem itself that says that it was the land of promise. Now, Hagar represented Mount Sinai and Sarah represented Jerusalem. Mount Sinai represented slavery, while Jerusalem represented freedom. Let's read verse 24. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Then he quotes poetry or a song. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud. You who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now, Paul wanted the Galatians to understand the identity of those who have faith in Christ. It's simply, what is your identity if you have faith in Christ and you're justified by faith alone? Your identity is what? Freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ. Now, freedom in Christ doesn't mean you can sin. It just means you're free of the consequences of the law and you're free of, of, of the tiny little details of the law. For example, you cannot eat anything with blood. I like using that as an example to Filipinos who love to eat dishes with blood, right? And for example, if you're living under the law, bawal. But then you also find in the New Testament, in Paul, say, you can eat anything. Um, it's not about eating and drinking. It's about faith in him. So th those little bawal, bawal, bawal. You can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. There's freedom from that. However, we understand that morality is still in play. I'm so sorry. To those who want to live immoral lives you cannot say you believe in christ and live in immorality 
Because faith in Him also means to be faithful. Faith, faithful, faithfulness. It also means walking in a manner worthy of the calling. It also means if you have faith in Him, you want to follow Him. It results in that as well. But there's a thin line. It depends on how we explain it. So we have to be very careful how we state it. We're not promoting faith without, uh, without any fruit, the, without any fruit of obedience. We're not promoting that. But we're saving, saying that faith in Him, in what He did, brings us salvation or justification. That's what we're saying. But that faith is never alone, meaning it results into following Christ. Third point, children of the free. Paul called them brothers who were children of promise. He referred to those under the law as enslaved. Furthermore, the enslaved mother and child were cast out without inheritance. He was referring to the story that they had to leave. Sarah demanded that Hagar and his, his son should leave and they should not inherit the promise given to Abraham. And we know the story. Of course, God still took care of them, but they could not be under this line that God was going to build where Messiah will be born and that nation would be Israel. Now, verses 28 to 31, let's read. Now, you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. Now, be very careful how you treat verse 28. One uh, treatment of verse 28 is uh, you brothers who are children of promise, meaning you have faith. That's one approach. Or the other one, he's hoping that they are still brothers that he is talking to. Okay. So remember that he also warned them about uh, why have you left? So he's also talking to people who have lost faith or have added something to their faith which nullifies, nullifies what they believe in Christ. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise, but just at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. He was referring to the sons of Ishmael who persecuted Jerusalem, or the sons of Isaac. Verse 30, but what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, or, sorry, it was also referring to perhaps how Hagar treated uh, Sarah, uh, in terms of, if you remember, there was a, a there were, uh, uh, an altercation or several, uh, there was tension. There was tension. I think that's the word. There was a tension between them. But even after, or after that, we know that the sons of Ishmael and Israel have been at war. And some even say until today, they are still at war or they still don't like each other. So, but Paul was saying, um, Verse 30, but what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Verse 31, so brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free. Paul implied that those who believed in the law were children of the enslaved woman. So he's saying, you want to be under the law? It's like this. You're like Hagar. You're like Ishmael. If you want to be to be within the spirit and in faith, then it's like being children of the promise. And, uh, but those born of the spirit belong to those who are free. And those born of the spirit are those who are justified by faith. So 
Paul was simply re-emphasizing what he has been emphasizing. And again, but with, by studying Galatians, he's giving us different angles to the argument. And now, it's, it's, the argument here is simply, it's, not, it's the same argument. He's just saying that, look, let me give you an example. Do you want to be a slave or do you want to be free? Do you want to be the, with a group that inherits the promise or the one who has no inheritance? You make the choice. Now, in today, how do we apply it? Number one, understand the illustrations. Mount Sinai, the enslaved woman and her son represented the Mosaic law. But Jerusalem, the free woman and her son represented faith in Christ. Let us remember that righteousness cannot be earned with good works. We're not against good works, but good works cannot save one thing that people, because of the lack of study of scripture, they think it's the point system. You did some bad work, you redeem it by what? Doing good to society. And by doing good, you might cover the sins that you have committed. No, that's not. If, in fact, if you think that way, if you think that way, then uh, it's proof that you are lost and that you do not understand the gospel because you think you can win your place in heaven. You think you can win your place in justification. You think you can be righteous by just accumulating more goods than bad deeds. That's not how it works. That's how the world religions think. And that's a difference with Christ saying, no, we are all wretched sinners, you and me, everybody. We need his forgiveness. Somebody must pay the price because we are defiled. Even if you sacrifice yourself, you cannot be saved. But Christ has done it. So what do we sacrifice? It's to believe in him rather than ourselves. It is not to live for ourselves, but to entrust our whole life to him. That is faith. You entrust, you trust him for your salvation and you trust him for your life. When I say life, I'm talking about your soul. So we have to understand the illustrations. Otherwise, we might be trying to live a life that's trying to win his favor by doing more good. I have nothing against doing more good. In fact, it should be the result of what we do. Praise God. But that's why we also do not brag about the things, the good things we do. Because that earns you no points. We do not brag about self-righteousness. Look at me helping so many people. Put a spotlight on me. Let's post it on Instagram. I'm such a good guy who helps so many. That's not the point. In fact, you keep doing that, you know. The Bible said, do not sound the trumpet after you help somebody. After you give your charity, do not sound the trumpet. But we do sound the trumpet, and that trumpet is what? Focused on the gospel, on Christ himself. That is the trumpet we sound. It is he who is good, and we want to follow him. Now, let us make people understand, and ourselves fully understand, that justification. What is the word justification? We are guilty. And we can only be justified. And that is justification means 
The removal of the guilt is justification. Removing the guilt. How? Through faith in Christ and his work, what he has done. His suffering, death, and resurrection. Now, anyone who adds works to earn justification is likened to slavery. You're going to try to earn your points in heaven? You're in slavery because that's how you think. You are in slavery trying to be good to earn your place in his kingdom. That's slavery. The son does not try to earn. He believes in his father. The son just belongs. And we, if we have faith in Christ, we just live like we belong. We live our lives because we belong to the kingdom. Not trying to earn. You see, here's the paradox of it. What's the paradox? What's the irony? Wretched sinners having a place in the kingdom. Something we did not earn. Something gifted through the death of Christ. Now, if that doesn't make you thank God and praise God, I don't know. It means you don't understand. It's something that when you wake up, you thank God for it. It's something that on Sunday when we celebrate this day to worship Him, it's something we come together to celebrate in worship. Thank you, O Lord. Because I don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. So let us stop acting like we earned it. Faith in Christ alone gives us freedom. Point number two, identify with freedom. Genuine believers should identify with the freedom in Christ. Righteousness is through faith in the gospel. Justification is through faith in Christ alone. Let us proclaim with boldness and confidence. Let us fight now because we identify with faith and freedom. Now let us fight every little form of legalism that some people try to add to the gospel. We fight that. Like Paul, you, you felt his concern? Read Galatians 1 throughout. You feel his deep concern. In fact, he said, I travail like a woman giving birth. I am in anguish that, that Christ be formed in you. I have to work all over again. That was the anguish of Paul. He was trying to fight every little form or, or every big form of legalism legalism is what you have to do these things to be justified no faith alone but the faith is never alone we were made to do good Now, let us also fight the temptation to ignore legalistic tendencies. If there are legalistic tendencies in the community, we have to spot it. And we have to gently say to one another, I'm sorry, I almost 
allow me to be sarcastic just for now, which is I'm almost always sarcastic. Uh, you can gently say, will you stop acting like a Pharisee? Thinking you are more holy than everybody else. You see somebody, a brother in error, yes, you have to correct, but not to a position that I'm better than you. It's a position that, hey, I'm like you, that's why we have to help one another. Maybe not like you in the same thing that you failed in, but I fail in other ways. We are wretched sinners saved by grace alone. We have no morality to brag about, but if ever we grow in, in some morality, praise God, because that is the work of the Spirit in us. It is not our work. But do we work? Of course, we were commanded to think this way, and we do. But what Paul is saying is, well, work it out, but the truth is, he is at work. <laughs> you know, the, like he's saying, now that you have known God, oh, but, but rather, God has known you. You've read that, right? There's a verse that you have known God. Oh, oh, rather God knew you. So there is that part where, where uh, we have to tell people what they should do. But deep inside we know it is God at work. And if somebody, some of us grow in the Lord, we know it is the work of God. Not human work. So we fight every little tendency among us. Let us not ignore. Some of us still carry the legalism of the past. Now, maybe not in the gospel, but in Christian practice. And some live like they live in the Old Testament. Why? They make big deals of not so big deals. Now, when we talk about sin, there are big deals, definitely. We're not saying, uh, no, I'm not saying there's a greater sin and lesser sin. No, there is sin, and it's clear. Adultery, murder, sex outside of marriage, that's clear. Oh, there's something else that's clear. Hatred. You didn't commit murder outside, you have hatred. Oh, that is clearly a sin. You gossip, you hurt the reputation of others without even thinking. You just love to talk about stories, especially the negative ones. Oh, that's a sin. But you bring it to another level where it is not clear in Scripture that is being legalistic about it. Now, forgive me, those watching, if you belong to this church, it's a sin to wear lipstick, ladies, some churches. And you say to me, don't worry, brother, we're wearing masks anyway. <laughs> but why will I preach about that? I don't see it. I mean, overdoing it might be a problem like you're overdoing externals, overdoing it where uh, there's any, such a thing as being modest, right? Not overdoing it to attract everybody. So I make an argument. If you preach against beauty, you'll have an ugly church. Now that's a joke. Or maybe you're discounting the power of Esther, how God used her, and the power of her beauty 
to save a nation. They were this close to being annihilated as a race. This close. And one night, because if the king does not call for you, even if you're the queen, the king can decide whether to put you to death or not, or to show you his favor. And what did he say to the Jews? Fast. I will fast three days and I will approach the king. And you know what, you know what she said? If I perish, then I perish. Beauty and boldness. Beauty and righteousness. I like that, right? Oh, but beauty can be used for evil. Ah, the subtle power of a woman. Do not underestimate that young man. All right. Do you know what Proverbs says? It's like you are being led to the slaughter like a cow. Cow being fed. Mm, yummy, yummy. You keep walking. Keep being fed and you keep walking. And suddenly you are. Slaughtered. Oh, forgive me. It's not in the text, okay? <laughs> okay, let's <laughs> let's go back to the text. Uh, okay. Uh, oh, I'm not taking a swipe at anybody, okay? Because I don't know your private lives, and I don't have any stories lately of somebody being tempted. Nothing, okay? So sometimes when I preach, some people react. He's hitting me. No, brother, you're not that special. Don't think you're so special that I have to make a sermon about you. Okay, please don't think you're that special. I preach what's in the text and what, or if it's somewhere connected, it branches out. I just like to deal with it because I know it generally happens. The temptation against us generally happens. So once in a while, I inject these things. But these things, going back, going back now, what is clearly Sin we preach, but otherwise we are careful. We're careful not to call sin, sin. Oh, no, sorry. Not to call what is not sin, a sin. We have to be careful not to reverse it. And then you call sin, not sin. What's the guide again? The Holy Scriptures. We fight every little form of legalism. Now, you know, if you think that way, why is he like that? Why is she like that? Now, try to identify what are you pointing out? Is it from Christian tradition or is it scripture? Is it from the people you knew that influenced you or is it from scripture? If it is from scripture, you can stand strong, but not condescending because we are all wretched sinners. We do not condescend if somebody failed in their Christian walk. We cannot because we are, what, still sinners, but free in Christ. What does that mean? We are free from the law. Salvation is by faith alone. Now, aside from identifying, the last point is live as free. The children of the enslaved have no inheritance in Christ, much like those under the law. But those under the free woman, those who are justified by faith, are inheritors. Thus, let us live as free men and women under Christ. 
we cast aside any reliance on the good works of the law. Take note, do not rely on how good you are. You're creating that point system in your mind. Oh, I did something bad, I'll make up for it. There's nothing wrong with making up for things that you've done wrong. We should, but that does not save you. That's my point. Make up for the, the wrong things you've done, yes, but that doesn't save you. That doesn't justify you in Christ. That does not remove your guilt. Do it, but that doesn't remove. What removes your guilt is faith in Him. And as, so as we mentioned before, when you say faith in Him or believe in Him, it also means you repent of your sins. Now, I can cite you different scriptures right now, but now is not the time. And when you say repent, you change your mind. It means you're believing in Him. So those two words may look different, but they are similar and they are linked together. Now cast aside any reliance. Do not rely on yourself. Do not be proud. I'm not a bad person. In fact, I help others. That line will not make it on judgment day. We're not talking about how bad you are or good you are. We're all bad in one form. We're all sinners in one form. And unless we get that, then we have no appreciation of the good news. Let us not entertain false gospels. Let us not add to it or surprise. And let us be conservative. If something is, is this already false gospel or not? If you're not sure, don't defend it. Stay conservative. What's the conservative? What is revealed in Scripture? Jesus said what? You are witnesses of these things. That what? The Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. We preach that. And then what did he say? That repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. Repentance. Turn away from your sin and follow him. Change your mind. Should be proclaimed. And we can be as conservative as that. Now live us free. We, we love the scriptures. We love the gospel. And those who are children of the promise do. And we live it because we are children of the promise. Maybe you don't live it because you're not a child of the promise. How can you know? Have faith in him. I say, Lord, I trust you. My whole life, my soul, I trust only you. Nobody else, not religion, but the gospel as revealed in scripture. As we have read again and again and again, interpreted properly. In what way? If you read a newspaper or a book from beginning to end, first read it that way, as simple as that. And you'll see meaning there that's so simple. And things we don't understand, we have to look at the historical background to understand what's the situation. Maybe we have more understanding of what it means. But if we read verse and we put our meaning to it immediately, no, no, no. They're not, you're not preaching the word. You're preaching yourself, your opinion about the verse. And just like what I say to us, anybody can correct a pastor here who preaches. If we're out of context, you can ask a question. You can be polite about it. And you can ask us to explain. We have to explain to you if you ask. Because we might be wrong 
Why? Human error. Or you might be wrong, and if you are wrong, at least there was clarification. Some clarity. I give you right now four stanzas of a poem called Free in Christ. Free in Christ, or slave of the law, know well that Christ is without flaw. Not good works, but through faith in him. This is good news, not news that's grim. No righteousness under the law, thus from selfish or self-righteousness withdraw. Because nobody can earn it, and earning such is not legit. Are you a slave or are you free? I pray that you can truly see that we'd be children of promise, that righteousness we will not miss. Therefore, stay in faith, all who hear. In your mind, may it be so clear. No distortions to the gospel, any changes we so dispel. Let's all rise and let us pray. Father, thank you for your grace and goodness. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered and died on the cross for us. We thank you that you have continued to make us understand. And we pray, give us such clear understanding that we may trust Christ alone, faith in him alone for our soul, not religion, and to follow his word as he revealed in his word. To you be the glory. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of His Spirit be with you all. And God's people say, Amen. Good morning. God bless you all.